Hello and welcome to the SDC Fit Learning Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name's Ben Scott. I'll be joined by Jason Galea. Thanks for joining us on our way to create 1 million positive outcomes for personal training clients by 2030. The podcast is brought to you by at STC Fit Learning, a page created to upskill and educate PTs and gym nerds. Also brought to you by at STC Fit, and that's a place for all your online and in-person personal training needs. If you enjoyed today's episodes, please give us a share and tag on the Instawebs. You can tag at STC Fit, at STC Fit Learning, at Ben Scott SC, and at Jason Galea PC. Hope you enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Hey guys. Another guest episode. Uh, so we've got Laura Fox from Fox Physio on, who's almost like, I feel like your honorary STC fit at this stage. It's like part of the academy, you're a client, you're contributing to the academy now, now you're on the podcast. I feel like we have to get you a shirt or something. Part of the crew. Yeah. Just start putting it in your bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess to start with, for those of the listeners, I guess that don't know who you are. Um, give us a rundown, I guess, of what you do um, professionally, what Fox Physio is, who you work with, all that type of stuff. Yeah. So my name is Laura Fox and I'm a physiotherapist. Um, I've been a physio for about three and a half years now. So this year I opened up my own studio called Fox Physio in Seaford. Um, so primarily I work with strength athletes. Um, that ranges from just like general gym goers to like, Bodybuilders, powerlifters, crossfitters. Um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Have you always worked with athletes? Um, it's always been my little interest. Um, so when I first graduated uni, I worked in between a clinic and out of a gym. And then like treating the athletes or treating people who were like either involved in some kind of sport or just some kind of gym training, like always took my interest. Like it was just a bit more fun because you could have more fun with their rehab, challenge them a bit more. They're a bit more motivated. They're probably going to do their rehab and you generally get better results with them as well. Cause you're not just fixing something and then they're going back to like not moving. Like they're actually going to use their newfound range of motion and they're going to improve a lot more. So yeah, that that's where my interest in the strength athletes came from and then training myself as well. Like, it's always been a little interest as well. Yeah. So yeah, let's go down that road as well. Training history. Um, like when did you start training? What did you do? Yeah. So I've probably been training for about five or six years now. Um, so like most girls, I first got in the gym to just kind of like lose weight, get fit. So started off like just a little cardio bunny, a few little light weights, bicep curls here and there. Um, and then, then I just gradually like started moving across to more of the weight stuff. So um, I kind of just enjoyed like seeing numbers go up on the bar. So kind of just like um, changed from like running a lot, a lot of cardio to like wanting to get stronger. Um, and then I've just tried, I haven't competed in anything, but just tried like different like kinds of programs. So tried like your bodybuilding style programs, um, tried CrossFit for a couple of months before COVID happened. And then, yeah, at the moment, uh, being programmed by yourself, Ben, um, in a powerlifting style program. 
Yeah, I think you're due to compete. Was it last week or this week? Yeah, it would have been around then. Yeah, yeah, but COVID had other ideas. Not a bad thing. <laughs> I think some extra time to get ready is not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully we can actually get our lift off going at the end of the year and we can actually see how strong we are. Because you're in the gym numbers are pretty impressive. Hey, I think um, I've got like a projected total of like 310-ish um, okay. just with what you've done in the gym. So with a bit more specific skill to the 1RM stuff, it'll be interesting to see what you can do. Um, all right, so we've got you on specifically because you and I had a conversation during the week about weak glutes, um, which I think, I don't know, how long ago, Jace, do you reckon was like, everyone had weak glutes and everyone was doing like clams and shit, maybe like four or five, five years, years ago. Five years. Yeah. Easily five years. Yeah. And it was like the thing, like everyone's glutes was asleep. You had to like activate your glutes before you got yeah, out of bed. No one could stand up. Yeah. Just <laughs> half bent over walking around because their glutes were that weak. They couldn't extend their hips. So as per usual in the fitness industry, we've now obviously got this huge pendulum swing to the other way. And it's like, you don't have weak glutes. You can't have weak glutes. doesn't make sense. Um, so yeah, during the conversation during the week, you obviously disagreed with that statement. So that's what we're here to talk about. So that'll be fun. Um, so I think maybe we start at sort of the beginning and have a look at like, what are the actual issues when people start talking about weak glutes and all that type of stuff? Like what, where that conversation comes up and it's, I guess in the, particularly in your space and like in a PT space as well, it's going to be like so usually attributed to some kind of pain or like movement instability or something like that. So like you're getting pinches in the hips or like lower back pain or something like that. And like the, the PT's response is always like, Oh, it's, it's weak glutes or, or just squat more or something, which is the, the movement at the moment. So what are the most common things you see come through? And then how would you go through like staying specific to the hip area and then how would you go through assessing like what's going on? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess a weak glute can lead to like lots of different injuries. The most common would be anterior hip pain. So like that pinching pain in the front of the hip. Um, and then also it's common, it commonly leads to like knee pain. So like patellofemoral knee pain, um, more sports specific, it does lead to like ACL and ankle injuries as well, but I guess we'll stay in the lifting realm. Um, it can also lead to lower back pain, um, more commonly on the opposite side of the weak glute. Um, but yeah, once you, like, I guess once you have a weak link in the chain, like it can, it affects the way you move. So then it's going to kind of a strength, uh, affect strength up and down the chain. Um, so like, for example, like a weak glute max can end up leading to like a weaker gastroc on the same side. Like it's going to, a weakness in that link is going to change the way you move and lead to, yeah, different weaknesses. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned athletes. I wonder if like any of our listeners can actually change direction. <laughs> be really interesting. We should do a poll on our, on the Instagram. <laughs> so like who, who is confident in direction change? Cause Jason and I certainly are Deceleration. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Over a short period of time. Yeah. Not a hundred meters. <laughs> so I think one area of this, I guess, intrigues me a little bit is like being a quote unquote strength coach. Um, 
the term strength or weakness kind of gets thrown around a lot. Yes. So when we're looking at a weak glute, does that mean that the muscle itself has, obviously it's like an inability to produce force. I guess what I'm curious about is what you would maybe say the cause of that is like, we've talked about like positioning and all that type of stuff, like the ability for that muscle to actually do its job. Um, or is it actually just like, it's unable to contract with sufficient force or both. So it's, it comes from the inability to produce force. And because of that, it is like your body tries to protect you from being in any like unstable positions or positions where you're not strong. So because of, that like weakness your body will then like get into positions that will help you not use that muscle so for example like if you have a weak um like glute max your like the front of your hip will take over and you'll get that anterior hip tightness it'll pull your hip forward so it kind of stops you from being in that like fully extended position where you're weak so that yeah it, it all links in yeah okay Cool. So it's kind of both. Like, so the the muscles' inability to produce force will then push you into a position where you're not going to use that muscle. I guess kind of compounding that issue over time too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So someone comes in, uh, which is exactly what I came to see you for. That anterior hip pinch, bottom of the squat. What's the assessment process for like hips in general, um, and something specific like that? What are you okay. looking at? Yeah. So as a clinician, like when someone comes in first, you're just like observing. So you're observing like the way their position, like you can look at their posture at rest, their posture as they're moving. Um, so you'd have a look at them in the aggravating movements as well. So I'd have a look at you in your squat. Um, and I'd also just try and look up and down the chain as well. So have a look how like the lumbar regions moving. Um, and then passively like looking at range of motion as well so um so i'd go get you on the table like looking at that hip range and with hip range like you're going to get the you're most likely going to get the restrictions into internal rotation or into extension um and then with that kind of hip pinching you're looking for the reproductive pain test so like your fader and faber so with those tests you can get a positive if it's functional or structural um, so you can have like a cam or pincer lesion, which is like a morphology of the structure, but to tell if it's structural function, like what, what we did as well was we did some exercises for the glute and then retested. And now that pinching got significantly, significantly reduced. So that means that the issue isn't structure because it wouldn't change from doing a few glute exercises. So like yeah. that pinching changed because it's a functional impingement. Yeah, so I guess maybe just to clarify that, it's like structure is pretty much bone and joint set up, right? And then function is going to be things that you can change, like muscles and all that type of stuff. Yeah, correct. To oversimplify it way too much. Yeah. Really scientific language. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so you've done the assessment. I think the thing that kind of got me, cause I was, if I'm totally honest in the, like the likelihood of it just being a weak glute is kind of dumb 
if like the more so on like this like get stable sort of idea like a muscle won't produce force if it's not in a stable environment so if you stabilize the joint you'll be fine rather than like isolating a muscle that could be weak so i think that test of like i think we just see clams was like do this now retest it doesn't hurt anymore okay whatever you say from this point i'm in yeah so what what is the mechanism behind that because it's not like like we're talking about weak glutes right it's not like me doing 20 clams laying on the the massage table strengthened my glute so what what actually happens between those two things to reduce the pain yeah so if you've got tightness in the front of your hip like the hip flexors actually pulling the femur um, and it's changing the positioning of that ball and socket joint um, so then if you do an exercise, so we do the exercise for the glute med, um, that can actually change the positioning of, of the femur in the hip and then yeah, retest and you're not getting that pinching anymore. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. So from there, um, obviously you'll put together one of the reasons Jason, I send you clients is one of the few that'll actually like look at a program put in, put together interventions, both as like a rehab and then look at programming as well. So from a rehab standpoint, do you have like a, um, an order of operations that you look, look at? Like I just wrote randomly, like activate, mobilize, stabilize, strengthen. Like, do you have a, a particular type of exercise in a particular order that you would kind of run through in that scenario? Um, so it depends. Firstly, it depends if it's like, the glute max or the glute med that's weak um, because just because one's weak doesn't mean the other one will be. Um, so first, first you've got to be able to get them to get in the appropriate position. So most of the time, if you've got that weakness in the glute, the, like the TFL, the hip flexor, it's going to be really overactive. Um, so yeah, so that's like pulling you forward, changing the way everything's sitting. So first you just want to get someone to be able to get into that right position, like to be able to get into the full hip extension. Um, so yeah, in, in your case, Ben, like we were able to do the clams for that to happen. Um, maybe someone needs a bit more help. So then they need a bit more release first. So if this was for their home exercise program, they might need to do like a bit of self myofascial release. So like spiky ball, foam roller, um, or even some stretching, like a basic hip flexor stretch to be able to get into that position. Um, most of the time that stuff isn't really needed. Um, like we can go straight onto the basic exercises like clams. Um, so yeah, then back you do like some basic kind of body weight exercises just to kind of like get the right muscles working. And so the clam, like a lot of people don't like it, but one of the benefits of that modified clam is you put in the, the athlete or the client in the, the right position for the glute med to work. Like if you're getting them, in that position on their side, like rolled over, like nothing else can take over from there. Like it's, even if they don't feel their glute med working, like that's what's going to be lifting their hip. Um, so yeah, those basic kind of body weight exercises just to get the right muscles working. Um, and then, yeah, I guess going into something that's a bit more challenging for the athlete. So that could be something like as simple as a single leg bottom lift, or it could be going into some loaded exercises, like some kind of lunge variation. Um, if it's a glute med weakness, you want to work on that stability. So probably popping the weight, um, just deviating the, the weight to change the stability demand of that exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
So I, I guess like, is there anything specific that you would go like, so we need, like you said, if required, we stretch first, then we're looking at like you, is that an activation drill that's going to put someone into a better position? Like the, the clam sort of things, like the goal there is activation. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we're kind of moving into, like you said, like loaded outside the center of mass, maybe with, um, something's going to target that area. So specific, like primarily kind of leaning towards that stability element. And then obviously you would probably go and do your training, which might be a squat or whatever, which is going to provide the strength stimulus to that area because you're in a far better position. Yeah. So when we are chatting about this the other day, it was like, does the clam and the, or, or the stretch, obviously probably not, does the clam, the um, the loaded front squat, uh, front foot elevated squat, or whatever, do those two things actually provide a strength stimulus to, like, for example, the glute med? Like, is it actually going to make that muscle increase its ability to produce force, or are we just putting it in a better environment that it's able to produce the force, like? kind of like strength potential. Like you've got a new lifter that comes in and they, they, they squat 40 kilos the first week, their technique gets better. They squat 50 kilos the next week and so on and so on. It's like, it probably didn't really get stronger. Their tech just got better because they were in better positions. Are we actually strengthening the glute in that process? Or are we just like, like improving the technique of how the glute works to draw a parallel, I guess. Yeah. So it's a little bit of both because if you just do some clams and get someone like moving, like able to move better in that session, they're probably just going to go back to how they were before, unless you address the actual like strength deficit there. Um, Cause their body's adapted like certain ways of moving. Like it's, you can get them moving better for that session, but unless you like are targeting the actual strength deficit, they're just going to like be moving how they were before. Yeah. I think that's one of the big thing people miss. Yeah. It's like come in and put my booty band on and do my like booty band stuff and then get under the bar and expect the problem to be solved and then wonder why it's sore every week. It's like that yeah. specifically isn't actually going to address the problem. Yeah. Like your body's tight for a reason. And most of the time it's trying to give you that stability that the muscle doesn't have. Um, so if a muscle is in like a, a tightened position, it can, it's trying to give you that stability in that way rather than the, like the muscle contracting and relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think maybe this pushback against like weak glutes kind of comes from that idea. It's like people attributing that like positional stuff to being the actual intervention where it's part of the intervention. It's not the whole intervention. It's like it's getting you in a better position, um, activating um, all of that type of stuff to allow you to then address the strength deficit in your training. But if you're not addressing it, then like you're not, you're not doing anything, I guess, long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't have to be using the, like the lacrosse ball before every session just to be able to like to, to move properly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jason, you had you've had hip stuff as well, yeah. 
Yeah, I pretty much have what you guys just spoke about. <laughs> this is like, a free physio uh, session for you. So that's what that is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I failed all those assessments the other week. <laughs> Funny, it only starts coming up when you start pushing like maximum load. So like I've only felt it the last week and a half. I might still feel all right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just like taking mental notes now, like do lots of hip stuff. So you, yeah, you'll go, go do the go do the resource that we've put together on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I think um the most common uh symptom that I experience with my clients because I generally work with bodybuilders is that like uh patellofemoral knee pain. <laughs> and almost every time it's rectified by some specific glute medius intervention. It's just so hard to get a meathead. <laughs> to like just intervene on that. It's like, you know, they just want to pick another exercise that to work around that so that they can um, push hard. But most of the time it's like the yeah, poor leg press and squat form or the, or the muscles forcing them to move in a manner that's poor one or the other. Um, but that's the most common one that I, that I experienced with my guys. Yeah. Male bodybuilders are definitely the hardest to, <clears throat> to rehab with hips. Like they're, they're definitely not a fan of doing, a lot of glute exercises and even like i think there's a bit of an ego element to like some male bodybuilders with like trying to adjust their technique a little bit like they're like no yeah. i'm like i'm i'm big like i've got this way this for a, re- a reason yeah like, it's i'm worked. strong yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well it's probably works but it's like if you can't fucking walk properly yeah like at what cost you know so if you can't touch your knees because they hurt so much but your, your legs are massive it's like what's the trade-off there yeah that's going to be the hardest thing um, to get around and that's why you know we had that conversation about like you know is 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 a lot of this stuff trainable like rather than going if someone's resistant to this specific intervention even in we can train it and get 50 percent out of them in terms of improvement rather than the 100 if we, we went through the full process like is that not better than you know, just doing nothing or just like consistently just working around, you know, injuries. Cause I know from a bodybuilding perspective, like we can just pick another exercise. Like you just pick an exercise that doesn't hurt. It's like, it's okay. Like if I can't squat, I'll just leg press. If I can't do leg press with two feet, I'll just do it with one. And then if I can't do that, I'll just leg extension and do some lunges. And if I can't do that, I'll just pick something else. Like, but um, I think like as coaches, we should have a bit of a duty to like at least keep some form of function where we can. Um, obviously, we don't have a lot when you start to get a large amount of muscle and you isolate that muscle and you train that way. But you should still be able to like have minimal knee pain, be able to like walk properly and, and all that kind of shit. So what I, I guess what I'm asking is um, are a lot of these interventions like could we skip a few of these and train it out of them? Um, if the, if the athlete's willing or like, do we have to take the specific, like, you know, sequence of like isolating and then kind of moving on? Yeah. Yeah. No. So like you could definitely skip that, um, that initial, initial stage of like the activation kind of clam exercise like that, that can help them get in a better position. But if they're, yeah, someone who, you know, isn't going to do that, then you might as well just skip to the kind of strengthening stuff, which would be like, like either modifying their accessories for their dysfunction or, or you could just like have them on as an extra, because when you're thinking about the dysfunction, it's not going to be like 
a, a really high stimulus, like a really high output for hypertrophy. Um, Cause you're probably going to be creating like a, a demand of instability. So the, the stim, like the load will be quite low, like yeah. objectively high, but like subjectively quite low. So yeah, you could move them onto the right accessories. So like, taking the glute made like heaps of different lunge variations. So you could do like a Bulgarian split squat, um, loading on the same side as the front leg or maybe like a reverse lunge. And when you lay load on the same side as the front leg, like that's just increasing that demand on the lateral hip. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then thinking more like glute, glute max weakness, like people are going to struggle to get into that terminal hip extension. Um, so there is like the kneeling banded, terminal hip extension but then again like some male bodybuilders might not want to do that so you could get into more like um barbell barbell hip thrusts um and because it's the full hip extension they're going to struggle to get in like i'd normally do some kind of isometric hold at the top um or even like a b stance glute bridge just so they can um just so yeah if they've got the dysfunction or weakness on one side like you can um just get that even load side to side yeah, I think it comes down to like the athlete just either wanting to be <clears throat> in full function and pain free or just like just working with what they've got. Because at some point, like it's going to affect your results anyway. Like if you're injured and you're training, you're, you're not moving or working to maximum effort. And we know that maximum effort is the thing that really does predicate, um, you know, uh, muscle size. So we'll talk about bodybuilding because I want to talk about powerlifting. Um, <laughs> so effort and, and obviously applying that effort with tension on the muscle is, is what builds muscle. So if you're injured and you're working around these things, like you, you get these signals from your nervous system to stop anyway. Like that's one of the, the feedback mechanisms is like you'll, you'll pull out of a set, not because you're hitting failure because you you have pain and pain is, you know, not good so your your nervous system's just like hey turn this off like and that's probably not enough stimulating reps in a set anyway so i think maybe just buy in a bit of exciting programming maybe you know just throw a few movements in here and there within the program that address those and then you can just give people those output exercises but i think it's still important for people to open that discussion like try not just to work around things all the time which is what i did for a long time um, cause you just get way better results when you're moving well. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like sometimes you just need to decrease that load for a couple of weeks to be able to, yeah, to, to rehab or get yourself moving the right way to move forward. But I guess, yeah, some athletes or, or clients, like they, they see that like temporary reduction in load is like a setback, but it's like yeah. looking four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks forward, that temporary reduction and like modification of exercises is going to get you like moving better. It's going to get you, yeah, training back to your your full output rather than, yeah, just more being set back by the pain. Yeah. So you mentioned before, like we mentioned, like the the muscles in the glutes. So there's like three. Do is it is one more common than the other two, or is it kind of like really just a case specific situation? Like are people, <clears throat> excuse me, like really weak just typically in their medial glute or is it like their maximus? Like, you know, is that also a common thing? Um, yeah. The maximus is also co- the glute meets probably seems a bit more common. Um, like, yeah, that's when you see a lot of instability 
Um, you can see the knee falling in in a squat. Um, although, although that can be a technique thing, it's like if someone's learned that technique and then they're at a load where their knee comes in, like that's like that'll be a, a di- like a weakness in the glute med, like not being able to tolerate that load. Yeah. Um, so yeah, glute med's definitely like the more common one, but like glute max is definitely a thing. Um, and that's, that's actually commonly seen in some bodybuilders as well. And that's where you'll see their, like, you'll often see their hamstrings really dominant. So their hamstrings yeah. will be really tight um, and take over. So their glute max isn't able to give them the, uh, the hip extension. So yeah. their hamstrings are, are trying to do the work. And then that's, yeah, that's a hard one to rehab if they don't want to do like the boring stuff because hamstrings are like, when hamstrings are tight and so dominant, like, they're kind of pulling the hips into that anterior pelvic tilt. And so someone's going to really struggle to get that um, like full hip extension. Yep. Yeah. Obviously we, we know that because we're working with people with those symptoms at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) So, So where does, so how do people come to the notion that like, you can just train this out of people? So like, I think with the glute media stuff, it's like, eh, it's hard to probably distinguish if you're not a therapist, like, is it technique? Is it a weakness? Can we just like shove our knees out when we squat? And if I do that more often, like that person's going to get better at it. But when you look at the other symptoms of like a weak glute max, like, I don't know if you can just do more hip extension to make that person better at hip extension. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this came about, but I guess like if someone is a beginner and they like, they're a novice and they haven't learned the technique, then their knees coming in definitely could be a technique issue and they've just got to learn that skill. But it's also like if someone's knees are excessively coming in on a squat, like even if they haven't learned to squat, they're, they're probably coming in like that for a reason. Like that's how they're moving every day. Like, so they probably do have some kind of weakness there as well. Um, but yeah, if someone's learned the proper technique of something and then it's it, like, and then they can't keep their knee out, like it's generally that would come down to a weakness. Um, but I guess like as a clinician, we will then like, we'll actually investigate that. So you don't just go, oh, someone's knees coming in. Like it's a weak glute. You kind of like, you put all the puzzle pieces together. So it's like, yeah, you're looking at like the, the way they're moving. You're looking at their muscle bulk, like you do strength tests, like range of motion tests, like you've kind of put in all the puzzle pieces together. And I think, I I think probably maybe what got like weak weak glutes, like the bad rap is like, like it just got blamed for so many things. Like if someone wasn't moving well, someone's like weak glutes. And a lot of the time that was said like without proper assessment. And it's like, if you're saying something's weak, you've got to uh, like, you've got to be able to justify why like you've yeah you've got to have done like the strength tests like seen them under load like you've got to kind of put all those puzzle pieces together um yeah so so yeah sorry coming back to your question i think it could be a technique issue at the start but it's like if you've learned that technique and you've got that like something going on at, at the knee the foot's pronating like and and then you like assess them out of the squat as well and like put the puzzle pieces together like a weak glute is a thing like a glutes a muscle like any other muscle in the body it's got the Mm. same properties like it's it can hypertrophy it can like it can strengthen like 
I don't like, there's no reason why the glute is exempt from like those properties. Like, so it's pretty unreasonable to say a weak glute is not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like we spoke about um, the other day, like Ben and I, like it's more that the muscles probably has like some form of deficiency, whether it's (coughs) signaling position, tightness. And it's like that glute doesn't work. It just doesn't work as good as it could in conjunction with like everything else that should fire in a manner, in a position to, to serve whatever tasks that we're doing. And I think that people, it's like people are saying this, like it's an on off thing, like it's black and white, you know, when most of the time it's probably gray and it's, you know, we need to look at things in a multifaceted way. Yeah. I think um, that's a really important point. Like talking about where it's come from. It's like personal trainers fucked it up. Like yeah. usually with zero happens. understanding. Yeah. It's like <laughs> talking about it. foam rollers can be useful in this situation. Did you say use foam rollers for 30 minutes a day, every day and everything? Sweet. Let's do that. It's just like what personal trainers fucking do. So it's like something's wrong. It must be weak glutes. Cause I don't really know what's going on. So I'll call it weak glutes. Whereas you send somebody to someone like yourself who actually knows what the fuck is going on can do the test and actually look at things correctly and then identify like, yes, this is actually, this is weak. You need to go and do this for the intervention. Um, and like Jace, that conversation that Jace just mentioned, I've said this to you as well, Laura, like I think a personal trainer slash coach or whatever, if you don't have a background in like exercise rehab in some way, shape or form, like I think that term deficiency is really like as far as you could probably go. Like I can't sit here and watch someone squat and go, Oh, you've got a weak glute meat. It's like you have a deficiency in your hip right now. I don't know if it's just like positioning technique, general stability. We don't say, for example, we don't have any pain. I might just be like, cool. I want you to try this intervention. That's probably going to cover all of those things. So like the front foot elevated reverse lunge or something like that, load outside the, the midline and let's see how that goes for a couple of weeks. No, that didn't help. Sweet. Off you go. Go see Laura. Find out what the fuck's going on because I don't know. And I don't think enough PTs are willing to actually say that. They're not willing to say, I don't know. So it's like, oh, it's weak glutes then because I saw some guy say that on the internet. Let's put a band around your knees and that'll fix it. Like, yeah, I think I think that's where it kind of spiraled. And now it's almost gone the other way where the personal trainer's job in my opinion and like we're talking about this in that the upcoming article that we've got is like your job is movement so if someone's knees are caving in on the squat like your job is to cue it if the cue doesn't work regress it and regress it to a point where you can train in a similar pattern based on like, we're going to talk about reference lines, but based on how that exercise should look based on the technique of that individual in that individual movement. So it's like, if you can't squat like barbell squat, can you front squat? Can you goblet squat? Can you counterbalance squat? Can you hack squat? Can you leg press? Like work your way down the chain until you get to the point where you can actually use your hips properly, train that and then try and progress through. And then for me, it's kind of like, depending on the level of the athlete, like if they just want to like look hot and be strong, it's like we, we can 
just work through that progression regression model and we'll be fine. Like we'll do other stuff in your accessories to try and address what I think it could be like that stability work and, and those specific exercises. Um, and then over like three to six months, we'll probably progress you to be able to be under a bar, no drivers. The second there's pain, that's when I'm like, okay, you need to go see Laura straight away. It's like, I'm, I'm, this is outside of my scope now. I guess there's no real question there. It's just me rambling, but how often do you get, like, I know you work with some pretty good coaches, um, but along the way, like how often have you had people come in and they're like, Oh, my personal trainer said it's this. And you're like, yeah, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. Is that still a common thing? Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely happens in like the younger trainers. Um, and I think it just does come from that. Um, not wanting to, to say, I don't know. Like there seems to be some kind of shame in that when you like first come into the industry, like it's like, you feel like you've got to know everything. You got to fix everyone's problems. Um, but yeah, saying, I don't know is like when you're going to be able to learn and progress. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm really lucky that I do work with some, some good coaches. Um, so they like you, like if there's something that's kind of like out of their field or they're not really like, they're not really sure what it is. Like they'll, kind of send them to me but yeah you do occasionally get a trainer who or you might get a client come in like not even referred by a trainer and then you like want to talk to their coach like about their training um like suggest certain things like because obviously with rehab like I could I could give someone a massive long rehab program but like I don't want them to have to do like an hour rehab every day so it's like if I can give them like uh, I don't know, 15 minutes of things to do every day, but then chat with their coach, integrate the right accessories like into their program. That's going to be so much more beneficial. And it's like, if their whole program's working for them, like they're going to get their results a lot quicker as well. If everyone's on the same page. Um, so yeah, every now and then you'll get a, a coach who kind of like doesn't really want to collaborate. Like I don't, yeah, I don't really know why, but like they're just kind of like, Oh, like yeah my programming's fine like and it's like yeah but yeah if you like if someone comes in and like you disagree with what their trainers said or like their method of training it's like you, you never like put them down or anything but you just try and like yeah w work around it yeah i think like jason i could probably attest to like seeing it the other way as well i think we've had this is probably you're like our th the third person that we've actually probably both gone. Yep. I'm happy to refer clients to that, to you. Cause it's like you they, people go to a, their physio or whatever and they come back and it's like, Oh yeah. It's just said like, put the spiky ball in my hip for five minutes a day. I'm like, and then like, what, what, what's going on? Did they look at your program? What have we got to change? Like what's actually happening so I can do yeah, something so it doesn't come back. Yeah. They're like, Oh, no, nah, like they just like did some massage and said, put the ball in there like three times a day. I'm like, that's not fucking helpful to anyone. <laughs> so I think, yeah, that finding a good relationship between coach and allied health, whatever that may be is like super important if you want to play in this space. Um, yeah. Jason, and I've been talking to like just around when, this whole idea of like saying, I don't know. And when to kind of be comfortable to outsource like PTs and coaches at the moment sort of want to know everything. Like 
I need to know nutrition. I need to know biology. I need to know training. I need to know like my, like mindset stuff, like coaching. And I need to know like rehabs, like do ya, or can you just like know enough that like something that, that we have in our programming model is like programming functional patterns within the main hubs in every program to try and prevent these issues from happening. So it's like, there's a certain amount of sets allocated inside the volume to function of the hip function of the thoracic spine and function of the shoulder. It's like, they're the main three places that shit's going to go wrong. So if we can always be programming that in the likelihood that shit's going to go wrong is reduced. And then when it does, particularly like I said, if there's pain involved, it's like, I don't know. I'm speaking for Jace, but like, fuck, I, I can't tell you what's wrong. Cause it hurts. Like I'm a personal trainer and I can get you strong and in good shape, but like, that's not, that's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. I guess trainers can pick up along the way how someone's moving. So like, if you can see they're not moving as well, like, like if you see they're getting that poor control through their knee, like their ankles like wobbling all over the place or like maybe they're not getting that, that full extension, like in certain movements, then I guess you can like try and adjust programming from there. Like you can kind of try and be proactive about it, but then, yeah, I guess like once the issues come up, if, yeah, if you like, yeah, if you have an intervention that doesn't really work or like if it's, if you're not sure what's going on, I guess that the quicker you get onto things like the better they're going to recover as well. So like outsourcing probably is the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like any, like when you're thinking for, to find a therapist, like you want someone in your field as well. Cause it's like, if someone came in and they were like a tennis player or a golfer, like I could like probably like, like I could like help them get pain free, like moving a bit better, but I don't really know the exact technique requirements of like those movements. So like I wouldn't be the best therapist for that kind of person. Yeah. The first thing that I ask for now with a therapist, like one of my clients therapists, I'm like, do they work with, barbell athlete athletes because um a few of them like you know someone someone said oh this person's got 20 years experience and i'm like yeah working with who Hmm. like you're working with like elderly population always in pain and you're just like immediately fixing their issue and they just come back next week in pain or you're working with like sport which is different to barbell work so i think once they don't work with barbell athletes if they tell my client to stop training um, it's over. Like, yeah. I'm like, you need to find another therapist because the, the no training thing is probably the biggest thing for me. And it's not like, I don't want them to tell them not to train so they don't work you know, with me and I can't train them and all that kind of shit. And it affects my business. It's like, you should always be able to train. You yeah. should always be able to do something. Um, I think that's the, a really big take home. Like you almost kind of build a checklist like in, in like I've got a checklist of like what I want to see in a therapist. And then I'm just like, if you don't fit any of these, um, let's have the conversation of potentially moving on, <laughs> i.e. find another fucking therapist. <laughs> <laughs> if not, I'll find one for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess in most cases, like complete rest is going to be detrimental to their progress. Like, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of the times, like you, you want someone to keep moving. Like if you it's like you, you typically see like someone, maybe they're not seeing a therapist who they just, they get a niggle and then they'll just rest, pop some neurofin and then they'll go back to training like a couple of weeks later or a week later. And it's like the same issue is just going to pop up. 
And it's, it's, it's no surprise because it's like, you've, yeah, you've got to rehab what's going on. But you also want to try and keep, in most cases, you want to keep load as consistent as possible yeah. um, just to keep their body moving. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. like having a, a therapist that trains is important too. It's like you've got to understand even just the psychology of it. Like, because like, Laura, you're coaching as well now. But I would say the three of us in here, everyone that comes to work with us is likely going to have training in their top five, like in terms of list of importance in their hierarchy, potentially even top three. So it's like, you can't tell that person, I oh, just don't squat. Yeah. It's like, don't train your legs. Like squatting is why I get out of bed. Like, you that's kidding me? Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just, yeah. So I think, yeah, having, having a, a, a therapist or allied health or whatever um, that understands that, mindset around it and i think it goes both ways too like we talk about all the time like the growth mindset idea um i had a, a client go to a therapist and it was like been going there for ages we weren't really getting results i was kind of like no feedback about the program all that sort of stuff and uh, we were changing um the deadlift setup and I, all i did was ask the question and it was just like had like scapula retracted during a um, deadlift and I was like, look, we're going to do a comp in three to four months time. Do you think she's going to be able to hold a retracted scap under a full blown third attempt one RM? And that was it. Like flew off the handle, fucking cert fours, don't know what they're talking about, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I think both people need to be able to come to the table here. Like I'm asking you what we can do with this programming and maybe just justify why you're doing that. It should work both ways. So I think adding that to your checklist as well is like, can you provide feedback to the therapist as well? And at least ask questions. And if in anyone in any space, if like you can't ask why they're doing something and then give you an answer without like getting defensive, it's like for me, that's like, you're not really confident in what you're doing. Yeah. I feel like keeping an open mind is, is pretty good. Like as well, because like if both parties come with an open mind, it's like you're, you're willing to take on the other person's like opinions and ideas. Like you're not just going to take it as gospel, but you're going to like, you're going to consider their opinion like and add it into your own critical thinking like of, of the situation. Um, but yeah, if someone's giving you a reason and like can't really back up why, it's that that makes it a little bit tricky. So if someone was like, you can't have glute weak, uh, weak glutes, and then it's like, all right, like, why like why can't you and what would be the the reason that they're having this niggle or that they're moving that way and like if there's no reason to back it up that makes it a little bit harder but yeah keeping an open mind is like really important because i guess we're always like there's always something we can learn off everyone we come into contact with yeah, yeah that week, that week yeah. loops thing is like i think you've hit the nail on the head there is like everyone that's in this this pendulum swing camp of like it's not weak glutes it's like, okay, what is it? Then there's no answer. Or it's just like, it's skill. It's like, yeah, but what, what do you mean? Like how, how do you know it's that? How do you know it's not a weakness? And there's, there's no answer to that. So it's like, you can't categorically say it's not that thing. Unless you have an answer to say what it actually is. You can't be so definite about it. And I think that's where, and I've like hundred percent that Jason and I've both been guilty of it in the past where it's like you say you kind of fall into these camps and then 
you get challenged on it, you don't actually have the answer, and you're like, oh fuck, maybe there is another possibility here. Yeah, I guess it's hard because sometimes if these like ideas come from people that you really respect, people you look up to, people you've learned really valuable things off, like sometimes you just take it for gospel, like, and you don't really question it. You're like, this, like, I've learned lots of valuable things off this person. Like, most of the things they say is legit. So you just, yeah, you just kind of take it on board. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. Jace, do you have any other niggles that you want? to address while we have Laura on the podcast. We have enough time for that. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, just given feedback off like what we put together the, the other week um, has been really useful though. So um, the, the trainable positions that are going to help address the, um, I guess I will call them like the fails and the tests that we put together. Um, clients are adhering to them like hundred percent. And um, I'm even doing them myself in my training. Look at me go. Um, and seeing them, seeing noticeable uh, improvement outside of my weak glute hip issue, which I just worked out what it was <laughs> um, just from what you guys were talking about. Like I have that. <laughs> um, so yeah, handy, a handy resource that we've put together. Um, and it's good to see it play out in real time. Um, as well and I think it's important to have something that's working with the client so I know my client's mentality to rehab movements because it's kind of like mine um, at, until you break yourself so yeah it's kind of good to have a bit of a dynamic kind of method rather than just like you have to follow this this and that because like most people working with heaps of people you guys would know they just don't do it um, so you kind of have to find a way um, or you just have to tell them, um, and, or, or fire them, I guess, which we don't want to do. Um, but it's good. It's, uh, it, it's been really good so far. Yeah. I think, I think rehab doesn't have to be boring. So like if you can, yeah, yeah if you can make the exercises like a bit more interesting for the, for the client, or even if they find them like a, a bit harder, cause if you're loading them up with, yeah. So if, if you put a weight in their hand, even if it's like, like 10 kilos, like they're going to be a lot happier than just doing some kind of body weight exercise. Yeah. I think they, they correct me if I'm wrong. Well, when you have that initial trauma or the symptoms come on and you're trying to intervene, the time frame where you're doing those really light, you know, less strenuous interventions should be minimal for someone who's very strong and you should be trying to progress them through to something that's more, I'll call, I'll say complex, but like integrated to what they're working with rather than, cause like you just see it all the time. Like the person that comes in the gym and with the pink dumbbell does his external rotations and he does that like every day. It's like, bro, that fucking pink dumbbell has been redundant for like the week after you did that injury. Like there has to be some form of progressive nature back to like lifting shit over your fucking head. am i not wrong in saying that or right in saying that yeah yeah absolutely correct yeah so it's like like all the principles still apply like you still want to progressively overload like or you like you want to make yeah the exercise more challenging whether you're increasing load or increasing the demand for stability but yeah you want to be progressing those exercises to keep the person moving in the right direction and like initially to begin with like 
often to get a change like we do want the person doing the exercises quite often like sometimes like it's not uncommon that we'll get someone to do exercises like twice a day to start with um so like the load we just want them to be exercises that someone like can easily adhere to so like you don't want them to have to like go to a gym twice a day for that so like they probably will be kind of boring like just body weight exercises um but yeah, but yeah, you definitely want to increase the load like as soon as you can. Like you want to be challenging that athlete. And if it's an athlete who, yeah, has a background in training already, like they're they're gonna be able to be progressed a lot sooner than someone else. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Soup cans are also a very viable option for shoulder rehab. You don't need to pink but dumbbells. Soup cans are very effective. <laughs> like I got, Laura gave me some shoulder stuff to do and I was like, can I do this on a band? She's like, no, you only need like a kilo, it'll be fine. It's like, I had like jumbo soup cans. It like obliterated me, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I owned my soup can. Are you sure, sure that were jumbo? <laughs> yeah, they, maybe it was just tuna cans, but I, it's better if I say they're large soup cans. <laughs> <laughs> they had a large can of fucking soup, man. <laughs> <laughs> like 150 grams. <laughs> 400 reps yeah uh so i guess my main takeaway from today is that bodybuilders have large egos and don't do the rehab and powerlifters are better (laughs) i think i think what it is is like people just don't like to be called weak in any way shape or form i wonder if like it was just like hey glutes don't work properly they'll be like oh tell me how to fix them yeah it's like hey man you're weak in your glutes yeah i'm not fucking weak i'm massive (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so Laura, tell us how people can work with you at the moment. Like you only face to face online, like what's happening? Yep. Um, so I'm face to face in Seaford, but also online. Um, so the best way to contact me is probably like Instagram fox.physio or emails just admin at foxphysio.com.au. Easy. Um, Those are a little reluctant to potentially hire a therapist in the online space. Uh, not, I don't think any of my direct clients have gone and seen Laura face to face, but have all benefited from her expertise. So um, yeah, if you if you, you have a good therapist, they should be able to intervene. And I'm sure that they would do the same thing in saying, well, you need to go and see someone if you needed manual therapy. So don't let that put you off. Yeah. I think Laura, you mentioned once it was like over four weeks the outcomes are pretty similar in terms of like doing movement based stuff rather than hands-on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely like for an acute injury, like it can be a, lot, a bit more beneficial to get hands-on, but like for like a movement dysfunction, it's like, yeah, look four weeks ahead and like most of the research is you'll get the same results anyway. Like people like to be touched, like, and it does get them moving a bit better. Um, but like, yeah, but like looking at studies and stuff like the results for eight, 12 weeks, it's, it's kind of all the same. And even like by seeing someone like online, you end up getting a lot more like videos from them. Like I'll tell clients in here to send me videos, like of their main lifts or vi- videos um, of lifts that give them pain, but like they're for some reason, like they, they just don't get into the habit of doing it. Whereas if you have an online client, they're a lot more like adherent with sending you through videos um, and so like, yeah, and changing the way they're moving on those exercises is going to be the, the main, the main thing that helps. Shout out to all of my clients. This is why you need to send your videos every week. 
including Laura, who hasn't sent a check-in for this week. I need to see your list. (laughs) (laughs) Not all online clients are adherent, but they are typically better. Um, Before we close, I think, because just because I made a note of it, that's one thing that I just wanted to bring up. Laura, you're kind of just going into the like online programming space and stuff as well. Um, Jay's obviously still, well, not anymore because we're in detention. Um, But having some online, some face-to-face, like one of the biggest challenges I found of moving online is like getting ahead of these niggles um, before they become painful sort of thing. Cause like, like you said, if you're face to face with someone, you can see how someone's moving, you can identify what's happening, can change movement patterns and stuff live um, and, and make sure things are working over time. I think your attention to detail in programming has to increase when you don't have that face to face time with someone and you kind of need to understand this stuff a little bit more. There's a lot of a lot of people that would just like look at movement, and I know I was in this camp of just like look at movement. That's not quite right. I couldn't explain to you why, but I need you to move into this position instead. That looks better. Keep doing it. Whereas in the online space, it's like when you do your lunge, I need you to do it really specifically this way, and I need it to look like this. Um, Jason, you had much experience with that yourself, noticing the difference between the two. Um, I think the online space, probably the delivery of feedback is really, I think, cause you can draw back to the feedback, like you can read it again and watch it again. I think in the real space, like they have to absorb that information, mm-hmm. I think, and remember it. So I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And like, you know, if you've just done a set and you're tired, you're just like, now I can talk to me. Like, I don't want to hear your shit. Like, um, <laughs> so I, I feel like even that's where that hybrid model, which we really kind of preaching with a personal training or any coaching business um, in a face-to-face setting is quite important because even though I saw your lifts, like it's probably best to still film them so we can go, Hey, remember, do this, do this, do this, do that. So you've got this reference point to draw back to. They're like, Oh, the last time I squatted, I remember that I had to do something. Um, So yeah, but I think just watching heaps of, heaps of movement yeah. um, is invaluable because that's where you pick up all this little stuff. Like people won't be able to identify little adjustments and little bits and pieces that are falling in the chain just because they haven't seen enough of it. Yeah. And obviously they don't have the underlying knowledge yet. So, with, you know, talking about the reference lines and talking about the technique and yeah. talking about how the, these joints should move in, in relation to a movement as well. Sorry if you guys can hear my dogs punching on. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's like a combination of all those things. Yeah. That's the real reason I had to go for an extra like 60 seconds because we hadn't heard your dogs yet. Yeah. Oh, they were punching on before I just muted it. Well, I didn't talk for the first half of it. They were just fighting. (laughs) Yeah. Indy doesn't give a fuck today. Yeah. It's the mum's working at the kitchen table. So it's the fight for who the special one is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's at fox.physio. For your Instagram. Um, you also have a podcast. How do we find that? What's it called? That is called The Barbell Coach and Physio. Spotify, iTunes, all the normal spots. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't got enough of my voice, there is an episode with me on there as well. Just because like some strange people like to listen to me talk for some reason. Um, I think that covers everything that we had to cover though. So yeah, don't just keep squatting and expecting your fucking hip pain to go away it's probably not going to work i think it's the closing message yeah. <laughs>
Awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Laura, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Laura. And we'll see you soon.